0: Have a good Christmas? Yes, I hope so. Uh, Just to let you know, there are only 353 shopping days left till next Christmas. Um, I just thought I'd bless you with that information. 353 days. Um, By far and away, the best present in the Johnson household was this Lego Man alarm clock. How cool is that! You press, you press Batman's head and uh, the numbers light up on that, which is brilliant. Uh, sadly, it was given to one of my children, which is just a waste, um, but uh, I'm saving up for one now. So um, I hope you had a really good Christmas period, a chance to relax and uh, catch up with friends and family, uh, that kind of thing. And I guess many of us will have used the period between Christmas and New Year just to perhaps hit the pause button a little bit to reflect. Uh, on 2014, the year that's come and gone, and to think a little bit about 2015, the year ahead. And uh, I thought it'd be a great opportunity for us to do that together as a church family as well, to think a little bit, okay, well, what was last year about? What happened? And then to look forward a bit into 2015 and perhaps just get a sense of what maybe God's got for us. So um, we've seen so many things happen across 2014. Um, So in no particular order, just a taster for you of some of the things uh, that were happening. And just remember as I run through them, this is our story. You may not have been directly involved in everything, but you've probably given to these things and prayed for these things and invested in them. So just a few things to let you know about. Uh, The first one is that we saw 22 new midweek groups start last year, which is amazing. So everything from uh, new mums groups through to football, writing and live music, as you'll see on your sheet there. Uh, I noted now, looking at the sheet, that we now have uh, breakfast, baking, dinner and curry groups, uh, which is excellent. That's my kind of church. You can just go all week eating for the kingdom. Um, So it's just brilliant. Not only that, we've run Bedford Prison's first ever alpha course that we certainly know about. And they've seen a whole number of people respond to Jesus, which is just so exciting. Um, We had leaders come to a training week based around Simon's book and had people travelling in from all over the place, far and wide really, overseas, mainland Europe. And we were able to pay for five uh, pastors from Zimbabwe to come in and access that training. They described it as life-changing. Um, We've now uh, got more older teenagers helping lead younger teenagers than we've ever had uh, before. And over the Christmas period, or run up to Christmas, they raised £460 themselves to go towards the homeless this Christmas. At the last minute, yeah, we can afford that. Uh, At the last minute, we were able to host Canon Andrew White. Do any of you remember that one? Uh, The peace envoy and this guy who's the only vicar uh, in all of Iraq. Uh, we were inundated as somewhere in excess. We lost count 700. In excess of 700 people flooded into the building to hear him give 37,500 pounds towards his work and clog up Antill Road. But aside from that, it was a brilliant, brilliant <laughs> event. Uh, one Sunday morning last year, uh, there were 139 children in King's Kids. That was the peak uh, of the year, and uh, Nicky Stanyard went for a lie down afterwards. We've had, um, we've had five-year-olds hearing from God for the first time, and we've had two-year-olds building a massive cardboard arc to act out Noah's story really? properly, not like Russell Crowe. They did it properly, OK? <laughs> Over a really rainy May bank holiday, a load of us went to the Catalyst Festival for four days of brilliant teaching, mud and ministry. Many of us drove there and then swam home. Uh, Some people um, from our church family ended up talking and praying out on the streets uh, for a lady who cleans the McDonald's. She encountered the love of God for the first time. We've had literally thousands. The figure I saw was about 17,000 people in through the doors of our building. Elsewhere in church life, Martin Rooney became the first former client of the night shelter, to now lead the night shelter, which is an amazing milestone. It's just incredible. He used to to sleep there, and now he's running the place. And we're also indebted to Paul Kellett for the way that he led so faithfully for a number of years. Uh, In the summer, we ran a kids' club uh, for children called Rocky's Place and uh, Pete Barras made us sing a song about it in church um, with actions and inflatable guitars. I'll always remember that. I might try to forget, but I think I'll always remember that. Uh, We moved the TSM course from the daytime to the evening so that more people can benefit. People are now travelling from places like Salisbury just to come for one night on a course, which is incredible. It says something about the quality of what's going on there. Uh, We held our first ever pastoral forum here as a church. We didn't really know what one of those was, but we had a title and we went for it. It was great. We're going to do another one. Uh, We gave £145,766 towards our £200,000 goal for this academic year in one offering, which is amazing. As a church, we're investing in overseas now more than we've ever done before. We now have people who have gone from King's Arms to work in North Africa, Mexico, Japan, Zimbabwe, Zambia, France, South Africa and the US. We've long since tried to keep track of where Julie and Adam goes. We're going everywhere uh, as a church. We're giving money from our carol services to offerings for the massive need that there is in the Ukraine. Over 90 people from the church went on ministry teams all over the place, to Turkey, America, New Zealand, France, and the outskirts of Croydon. We're willing to go literally anywhere for the sake of the gospel. (laughs) Meanwhile, in other news, Peter, the Burger Van man, has got to know people from one of our missional communities. They've been chatting with him and prayed for him. He said that his leg pain is now drastically reduced after some of our group prayed for him several weeks ago. A lady who attended our first ever prophetic development school said during one of the sessions God set me free from fear of talking to people which has been paralysing me for years. Last night I had the opportunity to pray for one of my neighbours who was starting a new job today and was feeling unwell. As I prayed she encountered the love of the Father and was in tears. It's just the beginning but I know this has opened up the way for many more conversations. As a child church, we've seen people take steps of courage, everything from telling a scary relative about Jesus through to confronting an employer on integrity issues. In 2014, we baptised 22 people. One of those getting baptised was a guy we met out on the streets. He came to the night shelter and then onto to Barton House became a Christian, and then got baptised by two of his housemates last year. He was then offered a job. I'm going to, uh, hold on, we're going to clap in a minute. We're going to finish with this. He was then offered a job with a local Christian employer, and in December moved into our first ever move-on house. Eighteen months ago, this guy was sleeping under a bridge. Now he has a job, a place to live, knows Jesus, and has a family. Us. Why don't we applaud the Lord for all that he's done? That, that's just a snapshot. Why don't I, why don't I just pray? Because my heart fills with gratitude as I read that, actually. Father, we just thank you so much. You are the faithful God. Yes, Lord. And that you are on a mission and that you, you in your grace, catch us up in what you are doing on planet Earth. Father, what a privilege to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Yes, bigger than our own personal satisfaction. We're building something that's going to last for eternity. And we're so, so grateful to be caught up in all that you're doing. Father, would you come and speak to us? As we look at 2015 and the year ahead, would you stir our hearts for all it is that you want to do, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can see it's been quite a year. God's been doing so much amongst us. Some of it on a big international scale. Some of it with just individuals. Like the lady who cleans the toilets in McDonald's or Peter the burger van man. God bless him. The thing is though, it all counts. People matter to God. They really do. He cares about nations and continents. And he cares about individuals who are sometimes overlooked and undervalued. 1 John 4 says this. says, we love him because he first loved us. He's the one that seeks us out first. He's the one that looks out for people, loves them, and brings them into his family. So that was 2014, a blink and you'll miss it kind of year with all its highs and lows. And now we're into 2014. 2015, Halfway through a decade. How on earth did did that happen? And as we embark on this year before us and we go back to work and school and all the rest of it, it's an opportunity just to hit the pause button and think about where we're headed in 2015. Before tomorrow comes and all the craziness of life comes at us, you know what I mean. It's worth thinking, what do I want from 2015? What is it I'm aiming for? And as ever, we want Scripture to be our guide. I've got a few verses for us this morning from Paul's thank you letter to the Philippians as our anchor point, where Paul lifts the lid on his own motivations and ambitions for his life. And it's written here that we might learn from it. So we pick up the letter in chapter 3. I've got it come up here on the screen. Don't worry if you haven't got a Bible to hand. You can read it through with me. It's chapter 3 of Philippians, and I'm going to read from verse 7. He says this, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss." and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us have matured should take a view, such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Brilliant. So that's our passage for this morning, I very simply just want to pull out three lessons for us as we enter 2015 from this passage that we can take on board. And the first one, very simply, is this Know what your life is about. Know what your life is about. If someone were to ask you, What's the purpose of your life? Why are you here? What's your life's mission? What is your life all about? Would you know how to answer them? Would you know what to say? What would it be? Pay off the mortgage, find a marriage partner, start a company. Own a Lego alarm clock. What is it that you're passionate about? What is the purpose of your life? Paul's very clear. He says this in verse 8. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. If pushed to say in one word what I think life is all about, I would say this. I think life is all about relationships. Bottom line, life is about relationships. The trouble is, though, relating to others isn't always easy. It's, it's not always easy to connect to friendships and families. And yet, that's what life is all about. Life is best as a shared experience. The difficulty, though, is that relating to other people can be so, so hard. I mean, finding other normal people, like yourself, is so difficult, isn't it? I mean, everyone you come across, they're all, let's be honest, they're a bit odd, aren't they? If you don't believe me, just look around. Yeah, you see what I mean? They're they're, they're all a bit odd. Some of us, um, even uh, we've come across in a romantic relationship, we've met somebody and we think, aha, finally another normal person just like me. And we marry them. And then a few months down the line, we start to realize, hang on, hang on a minute, you're odd as well. We discover things like they they drink milk straight out of the carton, or, or microwave their socks to dry them, you know? Uh, Although Emma, I must say, is getting better on those things. Uh, Relating to others is so difficult. We struggle to find... I'm going to pay for that one later. We We struggle to find people who are just like us. If we're honest, though, the problem isn't always with them. It's our selfishness, and more than that, our insecurities that keep getting in the way and stop us relating to other people. We reject others before they can reject us or if someone offends us, we quietly withdraw from them. The truth is that we burn more bridges than we build. We need one relationship that somehow makes sense of all the other relationships in our lives. We need one relationship that can become the bedrock for everything else, if you like, where we'll always be accepted, where we can truly be ourselves, where we'll never be turned away. We need someone who'll never let us down, We need someone to encourage us, strengthen us, and pour enough love into us that we've then got some to give away. The point is, Paul has found just such a relationship. He's found Jesus. He's become invited into this precious relationship of the Trinity. And the good news is, it's a come-as-you-are party. Jesus has made a way for him. He doesn't have to do anything special or be anyone special. Jesus has done it all. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, I'll come in the door from a fairly long day uh, at the offices here and um, I'll perhaps see Emma in the kitchen and uh, I'll just go into her and we'll just have a hug uh, together at the end of the day and just stand there for a minute and brace ourselves, ready for dinner time with the children and <laughs> pray a little and we'll just stand there hugging for a moment. But so many times we've done that, standing, hugging in the kitchen and I'll suddenly become aware it's not just the two of us in this hug, I'll be aware there's a little wriggling down by my knees, and I'll look down, and there will be Zachary's little face looking up at me as he's joined us in the middle of our hug going on. And it's like he looks up at me and says, like, Only me, Dad, and we sort of carry on and hug for a while. You know, to be a Christian doesn't mean to follow a whole load of rules and regulations, it means to be invited into heaven's embrace that the love the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have for each other gets shared with us, that we get invited into their intimacy. 1 John 3 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Paul has found one relationship that makes sense of every other relationship, that gives him all he needs to relate to all the other odd people out there. Paul's life ambition is to know God. This year, make it your goal to know God more. Not just know about him to fill your head with information, but know him as he really is. Maybe take up the Bible in one year challenge that that Phil laid before us, but read the Bible as the Father's love letter to you. Remembering the whole point of the exercise is not to get through the Bible, but to get the Bible through you as a means of connecting with him. Because you see, you don't have to squeeze your way into the embrace like Zachary does. He sought you out that you might join in heaven's hug, as it were. You might have known God all your adult life, or you might have only just heard this for the first time this morning. Either way, the invitation is still there for you to come and join in this intimacy. That's Paul's ambition. And I hope it's going to be our ambition for this year too. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. The second resolution, if you like, determination that Paul has is this, to deal with regret. He's resolved to to deal with the things from his past. And don't forget, Paul's got a lot of things in his past he's not proud of. He was the one who held the coats whilst they stoned the first martyr, Stephen. He then graduated on from that to hunting down Christians and persecuting them. He's a man with blood on his hands and a shameful past. And yet, he says this, Verse 13, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. Paul refuses to be manacled by regret. You know, I did a little survey a while back as I was preparing for a talk on anxiety. So I sent out a whole bunch of questions to people in the church over email. And in answer to the question, what do you tend to worry about? I was amazed because pretty much every single answer came back the same. People said things like this. I worry that I may have wasted the first half of my life, body getting older and losing youth. What do people think about me? Am I a good enough parent? And the effect is that sometimes I can't breathe. It takes joy away and makes me pessimistic. Another said, I worry about not being significant and not having done everything I need to. Another said, I worry about not achieving my dreams in God. You know, many of us pick up regrets as we travel through life, a bit like bricks in a rucksack that we carry with us. We're anxious that maybe we made a a wrong turn back there on life's path, or that somehow we've missed the call of God on our lives. We regret the relationship choices we made, maybe a dating relationship that didn't work out, or a step of faith that we didn't take. We might regret perhaps passing up the chance to serve God overseas, or we've chickened out of taking it on a leadership responsibility. We might regret the career choices we made, the people we've hurt, and we mourn over what could have been. Many of us have learnt to handle disappointment with our circumstances, but it's a whole different thing to handle disappointment with yourself, when you're disappointed in you. Paul says, I forget what is past and I press on. The context here suggests that he forgets both the failures and successes alike. He doesn't want to rest on his laurels. He's headed forwards. Not that he blocks out his memory of all these different things. He doesn't live in denial. But rather he believes that his future in Christ is far more glorious than his past ever was. That he has a prize that God is calling him heavenward for. You see, for Paul, where you're headed is more important than where you've been. You know, picking over the bones of my past failures really doesn't get me anywhere. Yes, sometimes I need to look at my past and receive healing and pray things through, yeah. But even then, the purpose of looking back is so that I might move forward. That's the whole point of sozo and healing prayer and all these different things. I've had to work this through in my own life, reflecting on where where things are at. Excuse me. I I turned 46 uh, last year. Hard to believe, I know. The, um, the Botox injections are really working. Um, but my life plan didn't include living in Bedford for 23 years. That wasn't on the life plan. I didn't imagine that I would be working for a church. I thought that was a mugs game. When I learned that I was doing my gap year in a place called Bedford, I had to go away and look it up on a map. And I went, oh, yeah, I wonder if it's near the sea or some mountains. No. Okay. Okay. I'm not where I imagined I would be at this stage in my life. I've got regrets over the things that I've messed up in my life. I've damaged some relationships with my extended family. I've failed key law exams that affected my future, and I've broken an engagement. I've made poor financial decisions, chickened out of some courageous choices, and I've spent too much time trying to please people rather than God. But when push comes to shove, where I'm headed is far more important than where I've been. And God promises to work out every bad thing in my life for my good. And I'm going to forget what's behind because in Christ I've got a glorious future and so have you. It won't always be easy, there'll be difficulties and hardships, but he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion. My broken engagement to Emma worked out when we finally got re-engaged and it's been glorious ever since. I'd have been miserable as a lawyer, and I've spent 23 years investing in the church, which is the Bride of Christ and God's rescue plan for planet Earth right right here in Bedford. I wouldn't be anywhere else. I tell you people, that is time well spent. God is redeeming my past in order to bless my future, and he wants to do the same thing for you. Let Let me tell you, if you let regret about the past dominate your life in the present, it will rob you of your future. Let me say that again. If you let regret about the past dominate your life in the present, it will rob you of your future. Be honest. Are you disappointed with yourself? Did you expect more of yourself? Well, if so, maybe this morning is the time to draw a line in the sand. To say, I'm going to ask God to forgive me, and I'm going to choose to forgive myself, which is really important. And then I'm going to move on. Because where I'm headed is more important than where I've been. That's the second thing. Deal ruthlessly with regrets in your life. The third and final one is this. Third and final motivation Paul lives with this. He's made the decision to make good choices and live them out. He says this. Let us live up to what we've already attained. Join with others in following my example and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. What does this mean? Well, Paul's saying effectively, live out of who you really are. Put another way, make decisions that fit with your identity. Live up to what you've already attained. In a couple of verses, he's going to remind the Philippians that they're citizens of heaven. He's saying, make good choices that line up with your identity. The Bible says this. It says, our days are numbered. That we all have a finite amount of time on planet Earth. And at risk of upsetting, to be honest, quite a lot of people this morning, let me show you this up here on the screen. Uh, Currently... The average life expectancy in Britain is 81 and a half years. Let me bless you with that piece of information. Now statistically, obviously, women will live slightly longer than men. That's because they have easier lives. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's got something, I think, to do with the fact that men eat more kebabs. I think that's really what it is. But that means on average, each person, man and woman, have 29,747 days on planet Earth. That means at age 20, you have 22,447 days left. You, yeah? You, you, you see where this is heading? Let's skip through 30. You got, at age 40, you've got 15,147 days left. At 50, you've got just under 11,500. By age 60, you've got less than 8,000 days on planet Earth. At age 70, it's 4,247, and 70-plus, you really don't want to know. Um, Ignorance is bliss. Now, of course, none of us knows exactly how long our lives would be. We might live to 100, or we might not see the year out. Don't get me wrong, I hope you at least make it to lunch. But whether it's it's 2,000 or 22,000 days, either way, it's not a lot, is it? James says this, he says, we are vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So of course the key question is, how will you use the time that you have left? Paul says, make choices that fit with who you really are. We are agents of another kingdom. We're in this world but not of it. We are just visiting here. Make choices that fit with who you are in the big decisions of life. I've got up here on screen the Briggs family, I think they live near Atlanta in the States, and over Christmas the BBC did a report on them. In 1985, uh, Jean Briggs was at church and she was shown a photograph of a two-year-old boy. He was living in an orphanage in Mexico, he was blind and he'd been beaten so badly that his whole body was in a cast. His legs were broken and he'd suffered brain damage. She felt God speak to her in that moment about adopting children. Fast forward to today, now Paul and Jean Briggs have 34 children, predominantly children with disabilities from orphanages in Ghana, Mexico and the former Soviet Union, and they're just about to adopt children numbers 35 and 36 from Ghana. I think Paul and Jean Briggs have decided that their lives are about knowing God and making Him known. I also think they're slightly insane, which probably helps. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment that you go out and adopt 34 children. I think there are probably issues uh, with that. But I'm saying to you, have just a few days on planet Earth. Make them count. You were designed for more than paying off a mortgage or avoiding redundancy. You were made for more than living just for the next holiday. You were made for more than simply finding a marriage partner or making your immediate family comfortable. To be honest, that's boring, and your children won't respect you if you always play it safe. Of course, there's nothing wrong with mortgages and jobs and holidays. It's just that they're not enough for you. If the main aim of your life is simply for you and your children to be happy, then I'm afraid you're going to be disappointed. Because God's constructed such a thing as that we're not designed to live selfishly. We're designed to live selflessly for others. And that happiness is actually found indirectly, not directly. My main aim for my children is not that they would be happy. My main desire for them is they would know God and make him known to others. And then they will be outrageously happy for their whole lives. You are a child of the king. On short-term assignment to a needy world. Right. Yeah. If you're, you're a Christian, your destiny is heaven. The question is, how many people will you take with you? You have one life. There's no dry run. There's no dress rehearsal. This is it. And you only have so many days left on planet Earth. I plead with you, make them count. Let me leave you with some homework. Four decisions I'm hoping that everyone in this family will make in 2015. Four choices that line up with who you are in Christ. The first one is this. Give yourself to all that God is doing on planet Earth. Give your time, your energies, your money to this family so that together we can reach as many people as possible. I bet raising 34 children has cost the Briggs an absolute fortune. But I bet they don't regret a single dime. The second decision I call you to make is to use your gifts, big or small, for his purposes. If you don't know what your gifts are, use the online test. Discover your gifts. Try out lots of different things and invest in that gifting. If it's in teaching, get yourself trained in that. If it's in pastoring others, get some training there. If it's administration, whatever it is, invest in the talents that God has given you. The third decision I love you to make is this, is to connect, to really properly connect into community, into church family through one of our groups. The simple fact is you weren't meant to do life on your own. Sooner or later, your life will hit a storm, a crisis of some kind, and you'll need other people around you. Maybe then, if you're not in a group, you'll phone the offices, and I and the rest of the pastoral team will do our absolute best to care for you as as well as we possibly can. But the reality is it won't be as good as friendships formed over many years in real community. But more to the point, Even right now, if everything's fine in your life, there are other people in this church who need you. You are depriving the church of you if you're not connected. Those people need your wisdom, your prayers, and your practical help. You need to be in a group for their benefit, not just for yours. And we're wanting everybody to find their fit in the family. And lastly this. Would you give yourself to growing the church? Take a risk. Inviting a friend, a work colleague along to church or to a group night. Is that because we want to have a big church? Not really. Big church means more, more work for me. But it's actually because I want us to have a big heart for those out there who don't know God. There are, I guess, around 3,000 Christians in Bedford. That means there are around 97,000 people around us before we even start to think about Milton Keynes and beyond who don't know the love of God. We've got a big, big mission on our hands. And these are Paul's ambitions. And I pray there'll be ours as we go into 2015 to know Christ, to forget what's behind and live up to what we've already attained. Guys, just as a very practical thing, we're going to ask you to do something slightly different. See, can you pass me one of the forms? You'll find on your seats, we've got these sheets that just very practically let you know what the groups are and uh, different places you might be able to connect And just on the back of the sheet there, we've got just a few very brief questions here. What we'd love is if you would help us by just answering those questions as best and honestly as you're able, in order that we might provide groups that meet as many different needs as possible. And it's a slightly different way to finish, but we were wondering if you could take just a couple of moments to to fill this out. Is that right, Steve? Fill this out. And uh, then I'm gonna just give us a minute or two. Maybe we can put some music on in the background. Then I'm gonna pray for us to close and we're gonna put these in the basket at the back as we go. So I wonder, Tobes, if you could put a little bit of background music on it. And if you've not got one of these, put a hand in the air and our stewards will bring you one of these, just as a practical way of applying what we've been talking about today. Okay, folks, we're nearly out of time, and I, I just want to honor the King's Kids workers, but how about this? Why, why don't we stand to pray together to close? Would that be all right? So if you're able to stand, would you join me? We're just going just to pray to close. Perhaps you do want to close your eyes. That generally helps us just to focus in on God a little bit. And I guess the question I want to have in our, in our hearts as we go is, what was it for you this morning? What is it God's wanting you to say? So just quiet in your heart, maybe... Just reflect for a moment. Is it it that God's saying to you this morning, I want you to know me. I want you to come and join in heaven's embrace, that your life's become about tasks and doing stuff and busyness, and he's saying, I want you once again to come and join in the middle of that hug. Or is it this morning that you need to forget what's behind? It's time to ruthlessly deal with regrets and leave them in the past. Or is it now it's time to make some really godly decisions and start living them out in every moment of your life? If you know that it's one of those three, just I'm not gonna embarrass anybody, but just as a way of responding to God, why don't you just put a hand in the air and I just wanna pray for you. Father, I pray for every person here, oh God. I pray, Father, that we might know you, experience you, not just intellectually give assent to a whole load of beliefs, have a relationship with you. And I pray for every person here this morning that's living with deep regrets. Yes. Or he sense of weight on that as I say that. And I feel like there are some of you here this morning you need to get prayer before you go home because there are deep regrets that it's time to, I just see that picture of drawing a line in the sand, there are deep regrets to leave behind. And then Father I too, I pray for every one of us here to make good choices, that we would really be in the family, not just come and attend the service but that we might feel connected and part of this thing. Father, I pray for this year that we would have a glorious 2015, that we'd see you do amazing and remarkable things. I pray for an increase in the miraculous. I pray for increasing provision. I pray for increasing people coming to know you, Lord Jesus. I pray for influence here and overseas, Lord Jesus. We pray for 2015 to be the most remarkable year in you. Father, we pray that each one of us would make great choices, that we deal with regrets, and we push on to know you more and more intimately, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.